0: Well, 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 good morning once again. Everybody enjoy the snow this morning out there? That was not very good response. Uh, it's Christmas time. It should be snowing, right? We like to drive around to snow, don't we? I was talking to several of you who love that uh, before service, so just kidding. Okay, uh, well, listen, hey. We are in our uh, new series called Awkward Family Christmas, and, um, and so uh, this is week one. We've got three weeks of this, okay, and then uh, we have our Christmas Eve Eve service. Uh, remember, on December 25th, Sunday, December 25th, we have no service here. We have no service in Newburgh, so Christmas Eve Eve is a Friday night, and we are having a combined service at the Newburgh campus on that night. So that's where we will be, and uh, we hope that you will be there uh, with us and worshiping together as uh, one church because we are one church with two different locations, uh, but we are one family, one church. So, awkward family Christmas here. The word awkward uh, has, it carries with it several. Uh, ideas as I looked it up and and so here's what those ideas are. Okay, something that causes difficulty Maybe something inconvenient right something inconvenient maybe something uh, uh, That is not so smooth or so graceful, you know something maybe some of us on ice skates would would that might be us uh, you know something uncomfortable or maybe uh unusual right out of the ordinary uh and something surprising right something surprising hang on a second i've taken my jacket off so uh so in honor of my favorite christmas movies home alone uh one and two uh this is what you get today okay so figured i'd throw that out for you just have a little bit of fun but uh in uh In some of these definitions, um, you know, the one main common thing, or throughout those definitions, the main common theme is that they're just plain difficult, right? Either to, uh, to be in or to understand, right? Awkward situations are difficult to be in or to understand. And so it's not always easy to be in awkward situations, right? Would you agree with me on that? Has anyone here ever sent a text to the wrong person? Oh, man. And hopefully it wasn't bad, right? You weren't saying something bad about them. So, uh, you know, anyone here ever uh, agree to go on some sort of outing or meet somebody at a, uh, some sort of gathering or party, and then that person who planned to be there with you got sick at the last minute and couldn't make it, and so you're alone at this place that you don't really know anybody? Anybody else been in that position? tough one. It's a little bit awkward. Have you ever walked by someone who's on a Bluetooth device and think they were talking to you, right? And you're like, yeah, hey, no, oh, not me, right? That's always a little awkward. Uh, Or similarly, someone was waving in your direction and you just wave back. You don't know that person. Then you find out the person comes running from behind you and they were waving at that person, right? And you were looking like a dummy, you know, hey, I don't know you, but, right? Been there, done that one. Or um, maybe you've gone to the dentist before in your life, right? Anybody ever gone to the dentist before in their life? Please, everybody raise your hand. When you go to the dentist and they numb every part of your mouth, right? Every part of it. And they stuff an air hose in one side and a water hose in the other, And they grab a pickaxe and they start, like, digging around in your mouth and poking at things and scraping things and probing around. And then they say, so how's your day going? Like, anybody else ever been in that position? You're like, how do you expect me to talk, right? I have all these things in my mouth. It's a very awkward situation at the dentist, for sure. Awkward things can be surprising and uh, unusual, difficult to be in or to understand, and can even be inconvenient. And so, in Luke chapter one, I'm sorry, here you go. Got to delete this thing out. All right, close that out. All right, in Luke chapter one, we see from the start that Luke. And you, anybody remember who Luke was? What was his? What did he do for a living? He's a doctor, right? He's a doctor. And so he explains why he's writing this letter at the very beginning of the uh, book of Luke. And it is to give most excellent Theophilus, right? We talked about him before in Acts uh, when we went through uh, uh, one week. I remember we were in Acts. We talked about most excellent Theophilus. And so he writes this. We don't know exactly who that was, uh, but, uh, but we talked about that before. Uh, so he gives this Theophilus certainty. He writes this, and he says, to give you certainty concerning the things that he's been taught uh, through an extensive compilation of eyewitnesses and ministers of the word right and so his job was to go gather all this stuff and compile it together for this letter or or for this what we know as a book here to help theophilus have certainty in what he's been taught and what he uh has learned okay this is the basis for him embarking on the journey and writing this account And Luke would have been very detailed. Medical doctors tend to be pretty detailed in their research, okay? So he would have been very detailed in the research and the interviews. And so from there in the book of Luke, we see that Luke writes uh, of an encounter that was had by Zechariah the priest, right? As he was one day at the altar of incense in the holy place in the temple, he was fulfilling his priestly duties, And Zechariah uh, was in there at the altar. They were, was Zechariah young or old? He was old. Was his wife, Elizabeth, young or old? She was old too, all right? So they were unable to have children is what the scriptures tell us. And God surprised them with a baby boy uh, on the way that they were to name what? John, right? John, and this baby would be John, who would be called John the baptizer, right, the forerunner of Jesus and the cousin to Jesus, right? And so Zechariah was troubled at this encounter, scriptures say, and had unbelief at the news to which he received a rebuke. Does anybody remember what that rebuke was from the angel? He couldn't talk, right? He, had, he was silent. He lost his voice. And so uh, he saw Gabriel before him and still having unbelief uh, about God's ability to do this, right? And so in this instance, we see, we know this. For 400 years, that there had been no prophetic word from God. And now God was bringing hope to these dark days uh, Israel had been in throughout that time. And it's noteworthy that Zechariah... Here, here, listen to this. Zechariah's name means Jehovah has remembered. Jehovah has remembered. And literally 400 years later, bam, Jehovah remembered. Because God is a God who remembers his word. Amen? So then we come... And and that was was a bit surprising and unusual, right? After 400 years, bam. And so you might say it was a little bit awkward. But we come into the scripture today... Than that we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Um, as per usual, I don't put the scripture up there, um, so you can't read along on the screen, but there are Bibles on the chairs so you can grab one around you, you can follow. And listen, I've been doing this for a while because I think it's important for you to be able to put your finger on it in the Bible, follow along, understand it's actually in there, it's not just something I put up on the screen. And, uh, and then that helps you to find where it is in the Bible as well, right? And so where is Luke in the Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? In the New Testament, it's the third book in. All right, so uh, if you didn't know, now you know, and grab a Bible, and you can open up to it and follow along. Uh, So we're going to pray, and then we'll go into reading that. Father, thank you for being here with us today. We know that you are always with us, God, and when we gather together as your people, uh, you meet us in a powerful, powerful way. There's something about being together as your people, as your church, God, and uh, seeking you, and we know that as we seek you in uh, the worship of our songs and in worshiping you through opening up your word, God, we know that you'll meet us here, and we're so thankful that you'll speak to our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. All right, so Luke 1, 26 through 38. All right, here we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, And his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy, uh, will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we uh, can talk about a few things here, okay? Number one, God uses whom he chooses, okay? God uses whom he chooses. And here's a, a great truth in this, right, that he doesn't use the perfect. Has anybody ever noticed that? He doesn't use the perfect, right, because then none of us would be able to be used, right? And so uh, rather he uses whom he chooses. Mary is a young girl from a nowhere town, right? This is who she is. No one would have guessed this would be the avenue that God the Father would choose uh, for the Messiah to be born into the world. It's not, listen, it's not what we would choose if we were to write the story, right? If you were to sit down and write the story, would you choose the same things that we find in Scripture? Like, we just wouldn't do that. You know, we'd want to help God out a bit and write it in the best way possible for what we see could be the best outcome for it, right? Right? Has anybody here ever re- uh, watched The Princess Bride, uh, movie from 1987, right? Do you remember when the grandson is listening to the grandpa read the story, and he's always stopping him, saying, no, that can't be, Grandpa. It's probably this, right? And he's like, no, let me keep reading. Let me keep reading, right? You remember that? Right? We would, uh, we would probably help God a lot by writing a different kind of story that seemed reasonable. Amen. I would, okay. I'll just be you don't you didn't answer me, but I would. So I would be like, hey, that let's make him rich in a in a great affluent area and all this stuff. It gives him the best chance to go to school and get this and right? We would be talking about that. You know you would too. But this is a bit awkward, uh, you know, you could say, right? In the in the, the way that the story is written, the way that God has designed it, it's a bit awkward, seemingly you know, uh, from the wrong girl, right? Born to the wrong girl from the wrong side of town. It surely was unexpected, wouldn't you agree? Surely was surprising, right? It was uncomfortable for many involved, including young Mary and her betrothed man, Joseph, right? Let's just be real. That would be super awkward, all right? Everybody around town staring at her. She's pregnant. Joseph's like, Amy, you know, and, and so here's this awkward situation that they find themselves in, surprising, unexpected, and uncomfortable for sure, right, Nazareth, let's talk about Nazareth for a minute, a small, insignificant town, right, it really, truly was in these days, and depending upon what you read, there's maybe a couple hundred people in it roughly uh, around there, it was set away from everything, right? It was six miles from the closest road out of town. Like six miles to the closest road to get out of town. Fifteen miles from the Sea of Galilee. Like no shopping malls nearby, right? You couldn't go shopping. There's no Chipotle to grab a chicken bowl on the run, right? Anybody Chipotle fan out here? Nobody? Okay, liars. Okay. Um, no Cabela's for the new camo gear. Anybody like camo, camouflage gear? Okay. It was a lonely, lonely town, right? That's the truth about Nazareth is it was just a lonely town. Had nothing really going on. It was a sleepy little town. But in this town was Mary, a young Jewish virgin, who was God fearing and listen, God honoring. We see this idea in Scripture in so many places that God uses who he chooses, and not man's idea of who he should choose or you know, what he should do with them. People like Zechariah and his aging wife, Elizabeth. They're too old. She was barren. Shouldn't have have been able to have a child. But they get this forerunner to Jesus, right? A young virgin named Mary here. We see a a hairy, very strange man named John, right, who uh, was the baptizer of the people, dressed weird, lived in the wilderness, and had a strange diet, right? God uses this guy. It's like, okay, we see a ruddy young boy named David to become the king of Israel, right? In fact, they almost overlooked him because he was out in the field. They're like, oh, wait, I do have another son. Let me go get him, you know. God uses him. A guy who had difficulty in speaking to be his leader and mouthpiece, right? And he, who would lead the Israelites out of Egypt against a pharaoh, that God also used by hardening his heart so that God's glory and might could be shown in setting the captive Israelites free from Egypt. So God used them. Remember Habakkuk? Anybody in here? Ever read through Habakkuk? That part of your Bible is probably stuck together still because you never open to it. But when Habakkuk speaks to God in Habakkuk chapter 1, He looks around, and he sees all the trouble and the evil in the world, and he wonders what God will do and when he will put an end to all of that because seemingly it seemed like all the evil and wickedness was winning, right? And God answers him and gives him an answer. Do you remember what the answer was? You need to crack your Bible open to Habakkuk uh, soon. heres I'm going to tell you right here, (laughs) but you should also go read it too. He tells Habakkuk that he's doing something that's uh, very surprising, right? Something, he's he's at work, and he's doing something amazing. And here's what he's doing, that he's raising up the Babylonians to overtake Judah. And he's like, well, that's not the answer that I wanted to get. I, I didn't expect that, right? And so God's like, yep, that's what I'm doing. Because their sin and wickedness had become so great that God was going to use another sinful wicked nation to overtake them for a while let them think about what they've done or something like that he uses unexpected people frequently right and and even we might be unexpected right maybe you are unexpected too i'll tell you what my senior year in high school i was voted the most likely to go to jail But God had different plans, right? An unusual plan that was surprising to everyone. So, and I'm just sitting there, sometimes I think back to that and I just laugh. You know, I'm thinking, okay, so maybe you are also somebody who nobody expected something out of, but God had different plans. He's like, I'm going to use that individual for my purposes, for my glory. Amen? Amen? Mary was unexpected, and the whole birth of Jesus is pretty unexpected too, if we're honest, right? Number two, grace can be awkward. Mary was highly favored by God. She was highly favored by God. And when Gabriel showed up, she too was troubled just as Zechariah was, right? We see that in both accounts, Uh, which leads me to think an encounter with an angel must be kind of awkward, right? Might be an awkward, difficult, uncomfortable position to be in. How intimidating it must have been because in both of these instances, scriptures say that they were very troubled. And yet he speaks to Mary and he tells her, do not fear because you found favor in God's sight. Right? You found favor with God. Was it because she was perfect? Anybody? Was it because she was perfect? Absolutely not. Because God chose her. Right? He chooses her. He chose to use her in her faithfulness to him for this responsibility. And it was much more here, what, what we should see is it's much more about God's grace and not Mary's perfect character that caused this to happen. So, God is a grace-filled God. Grace is not earned by the good we do outweighing the bad. In fact, in my favorite Christmas movies, the lady in the park with all the birds, the pigeon lady, remember she tells Kevin McAllister, she says, did you know that a good deed outdoes a bad deed? Well, that ain't true, right? That's not true, right? It's not about how much good we do outweighing the bad, and we should do good things, but I'm not, we don't, We don't rely on those things for salvation. We don't rely on those things to get us to heaven. But rather, you know, given by God. Grace is given by God because of his unending kindness and love. The word grace is the Greek word charis, which means favor, blessing, and kindness. And while we can show grace to others, and we should show grace to others, when we see it used in Scripture relating to God showing grace... It's, it's to a higher degree. It really, truly is. It's meaningful and very purposed. And here's what I mean. In God's grace, he chooses to bless us rather than give us what our sin deserves, which is what again? Death and eternal punishment. And if you want to look that up, Ephesians 2.3. You can check that out. But while we were yet sinners against God. He set the plan into motion, which had been laid out before the foundation of the earth was formed, and he died for us. And you can look that up in Romans 5, 8, if you would like. And this young teen and her betrothed husband, and a betrothal lasted for one year, FYI, a little bit extra for you here. Betrothal lasted for one year. They were essentially married If during the betrothal time, they didn't want to be together anymore, they had to literally get a divorce, okay? And so here they were in the middle of this time, or in this one-year period of time, and they were to be the parents of Emmanuel, God with us, in the flesh and blood. Would that be a little awkward? I don't know. Surprising? Hard? Difficult? Surprising? You know, all these things. Like, it would be a little awkward. You know, it made me nervous enough to raise my own kids, right? let alone the son of the most high, right? So this, this angel says, you're going you're gonna to birth, his name's Jesus, and he's going to be the son of the most high, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm ready for that, but if you think so, right? So it'll bring some anxiety, I think, probably on. Son of the most high, the son of God, the emphasis in the scripture here is the greatness of Jesus, much more than the greatness of Mary, right? Greatness of Jesus Greater than the greatness of Mary. As if she is to be exalted to the same level as Jesus. Let me just say, we need to steer away from that type of thinking. By no means, he is God. She was favored by God, graced by God because of her commitment to him and because he just chose to use her. But again, he's God, right? There's a big difference between God and Mary. And we need to be careful. Because this is truly about the greatness of Jesus, Son of the Most High. And here's another thing that should tell us something. Mary was as surprised as anyone that this grace was given to her, right? She was surprised in this. It's not like she was like, yeah, well, I have been following you for a long time, and I honor you greatly, Lord. Right? It wasn't about that. She was like, really? Me? So that should tell us a little something there. God takes an awkward, surprising, unusual, and even uncomfortable situation and turns it for his good and for his purposes. And he makes it awesome, right? Awesome. Now, let me just say something about awesome. I overuse that word a lot. Maybe you do too, right? Maybe you do too. I overuse it way too much. And, but here's the thing. The greatness of God cannot be overstated. The greatness of God cannot be overstated. His plans are remarkably awesome and should fill us with awe. His plans should fill us with awe. The depths of his character and his attributes are what we spend a lifetime getting to know, and yet we only scratch the surface of who he is fully. In our entire lifetime, we're following him, and we're seeking him, and we're getting to know him more, and we barely scratch the surface, y'all. He is awesome. He does awesome things. And he makes awkward things remarkably awesome. I just finished a book uh, by John Piper called The Supremacy of God in Preaching. And here's one quote I found uh, in that book that was super inspiring in pursuing uh, to see God more uh, clearly in his awesomeness. And here's what it is. He says, don't be content. To guide people among the foothills of his glory. Become a mountain climber on the cliffs of God's majesty and let the truth begin to overwhelm you that you will never exhaust the heights of God. Maybe, just maybe, we're far too underwhelmed with God because we've heard the stories, right? We know all the information about the stories. And still I wonder, we may know the stories, but do we know the God of those stories? Do we know the God of those accounts in the Bible? If you grew up in church like I did, and you had a flannel graph that had all the characters of the Bible on it, and the Bible story and all those, does anybody know what a flannel graph is? Okay, thank you. right, I, I was looking around thinking, yeah, we probably all know what it is, Okay. We know the story. We know the the flannel graph. We know the little books that have pop ups and wee, yay. You know, we know those things, but do we know the God of those stories? We know the virgin birth story, but do we know God, right? We know the Mary and Joseph story here, the virgin birth, but do we know God? We know the Gabriel talking to Mary story, but do we know God? We know the stories of the kindness of Jesus and how he gives grace, how God gives grace. But do we know him intimately? Do we know him deeply? That's a question for all of us to ponder. We know the stories. We've read them all. We, we see them, you know, except for Habakkuk, apparently. But, you know, we know everything else, right? We've read through the Gospels. We've read through the book of Acts. We've seen it all. We, we know the stories, and we, we think that's really great. But are we awe-inspired, because of those things about God. I think we're grossly underwhelmed by God. Grace is unmerited favor from God. You can't earn it, and the more you try, the further from God you get. The more you try to earn grace from God, the farther you find yourself from him. It may feel awkward, but he's kind and generous, and he chooses to give it. And I'm convinced that there will be people in heaven that we will look at when we get there and we'll think, didn't see that one coming. Like, you made it? You know, type of thing. Maybe somebody will say that about me, right? Maybe somebody will say that about you. Like, you made it here? Wow. Barely, but I made it, right? God is gracious, and when we give our lives to Him, trusting in His Son, Jesus, His grace saves us to an eternity with Him. Through no merit of our own. A free gift. And if you want to read about that, you can go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Number three, the reason for the season. Maybe you've seen those yard signs, right? You've seen things hanging around. Jesus is the reason for the season, right? It's been, they've been around a long time. And it is true. He is the reason for every season, okay? Okay? He's the reason for every season. The reason it's true at Christmas time and in December is the same reason it's true in spring and summer, evil summer, right? I don't like summer very much. But in, in winter and all these things, he's, he's the reason for every season, amen? So we could put up a sign in our yard that says he's the reason for the season and Christmas, but it's year round, man. That's what it is. He's the reason for every season as we look to him as Lord and Savior every day of our lives. He's the Son of God, right? He is the coming Messiah. He is the one who will save His people from their sins. And He did it for our great benefit and for the glory of His great name. That's why He's the reason for every season, right? Matthew 1. And and let me just say, that's pretty humbling if you think about it, that God would in and of himself, take care of our sin problem. And there ain't nothing that we did to fix it. It's very humbling. Matthew 1 starts out with a long genealogy of Jesus. Usually when we see a lot of names at the beginning of a chapter, we're like, okay, you know, buzz down to the bottom of it. There are 42 generations between Abraham and Jesus. 42 generations, right? This is the genealogy showing how Jesus came to be, right, so to speak. In Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-one, we get to that verse and we see that Joseph has a dream, right? And in it, an angel of the Lord speaks to him, and here's what God speaks. He says, essentially, he says the angel tells Joseph to take Mary as his wife, and don't be afraid to do so, right? Which would have been awkward. She's with child, it ain't his, and so. She will bear a son. This is Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let me just say, Jesus is the hero here. He's the hero here. And he did it for the pathway to salvation to be made for all, right? To deal the crushing blow to defeat sin and death and it was a final crushing blow. Jesus, in doing so, brought glory to God and fulfilled the plan that had been set out for him to fulfill. He's the Savior of the world. We are the recipients of that amazing obedience that Jesus walked out, and even now he is enthroned in heaven, and one day will return to establish his kingdom on earth. And if you want to read about that, you could go to Revelation chapters 19 through 21. And if you forget these verses that I'm throwing out, you can go back and listen to this on our podcast and get those verses so that you can read them again, okay? So what we see in this, as we kind of close down here, is that both Zechariah and Mary were visited by angel Gabriel, And that they were both troubled by his visit. And the word troubled here, to give you a little extra, means anxious, perplexed, or afraid. So they were a little anxious, perplexed, and afraid during this. But what differed in both of them was their response in this situation. And here's what Zechariah said. How can this be? How shall I know this, right? I want a sign. I want... Please, you know, here's Gabriel standing in front of you, dude. I want a sign. How am I going to know this is real? And Mary says, How will this be? And there's a difference between how can this be and how will this be. She says, How will this be? And then she says, Let it be to me according to your word. You think she understood exactly everything that was going to happen? <laughs> No, no way. But her response still is, let it be to me according to your word. And so I wonder here, a few questions to ponder as we go into our reflection song. And we're going to have prayer teams over to the side. So prayer teams, you can go over to the side right now uh, and get ready. But I'd like for you to think about these questions. How do we respond to God? Do we believe he will do what he says he will do? How do we receive his grace in our lives? How do we acknowledge him in our lives? Are we open to him using us if he chooses? Or do we think he could never use me? I got too much baggage, right? Well, join the club. We all got baggage. And God will still use you. And lastly, do we desire to see more clearly his awesomeness each day? I think we could all use a little more awesomeness of God in our lives, right? And a little less underwhelming thoughts about Bible stories. Because he's He's the God of those stories. Let's... Let's see him more clearly today and ask him to reveal his awesomeness to us. Father, we're so thankful to be here together that we can worship you as a church, as a family, God, as your people. And we pray that if there be anybody here far from you, God, that they would be drawn to you today. Would you draw them to yourself? God, that they're walking in a way that is contrary to your will, that they would repent of sin and turn to you, receive that authentic, true, real life in you. And God, that not only, that that every one of us in this room would be filled with your awe and wonder, that we would not see you as small and reason you out in our own minds, but that, God, we would be able to Look to you in such a way that as we see you in your word, that is truly awe-inspiring. Lord, open our minds and hearts to you in such a way that we are filled with wonder of you once again. We're so grateful that you lead us, Lord, in the pathways that you have for us. Let that be true of us this week, Lord, that we would look to you and that we would follow the voice of your spirit, the leading of your word, God, and that we would uh, continue just to, uh, to be people who follow after you and who are looking to see you in your fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Clint. I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Our vision at Family Life Church is simple, to create a safe and authentic environment for people to encounter Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please don't hesitate to send us an email at admin at myflc.org or connect with us via social media on Facebook or Instagram at Family Life Church Newbert. We'd enjoy hearing from you. Again, thank you for listening today, and God bless you as you pursue Him.